Hey everyone, it's Alexa. And Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking about Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I'm quite tempted to take back what I said about Shiv being better interpersonally. What did we just witness? She completely completely imploded. First, why did she pull Tom to the side to half-heartedly apologize in the middle of the most... Right. I guess because she thought, like, I was, I'm going to be seeing him a lot today and I feel weird not addressing it up front, maybe? That does make sense. I think she meant it in some form. And I guess she didn't want to have any further interactions with him without apologizing. Well... <laughs> but it did not go well. I barely could watch when he accuses her of making up the pregnancy. Okay, you know what? Actually, also, I'm pregnant. Yeah, by you. And there's this is never a good time to say, but you need to know. So, okay. Right. Now you know. Right. It's not even true. What? Like, is that even true? Or is that like a new position or a tactic or what? I inhaled so quickly that I nearly choked. <laughs> I have a quote here from Jen Cheney from Vulture. There's no ideal time to tell someone you're pregnant, but the ideal time to receive it is definitely not after snorting cocaine while experiencing an extended panic attack on the night of a major presidential election when you're expected to run a newsroom. <laughs> and it's so true. And she didn't go into the conversation expecting to say it. Yeah. It was definitely not how I thought it would come to light. That's for sure. I guess we see now that that's what they were saving it for. But it will—it actually wasn't as impactful as I... I completely agree. They made us wait so long that now I wanted it to be like a whole big thing. And for her to just drop it in that conversation when it should have definitely been in last night's conversation, I was kind of disappointed that that's how it ended up coming out. And then she immediately turns to Ken and Rome. She goes right to them and is clearly wounded from that interaction. And she talks shit about him with them, which I thought was interesting. Like she bounces immediately from him to them, even though she's screwing them behind the scenes also. Look, I think things are tough with with my situation and Tom. Uh, but you want us to have him killed? Uh, I do that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think... You know, he's just, he's just a piece of filth, and there's stuff I would like to tell you, but... Uh... And then what the hell was that conversation she had with Greg? Does she not realize that a threat isn't going to do anything? Yeah. He doesn't care. Like, what if he's not loyal to anyone? He's going to go wherever he thinks will keep him him the safest. He's the most dangerous of them all because he has no allegiance to anybody. That is why I half joked at the beginning of the season that it's going to be Greg in the end. And now with each episode that goes on, it's getting more and more likely because now he's in with Matson, and he's still in with Ken and Rome because he ultimately sold Shiv out to Ken and now has his trust completely. Another ridiculous thing that she did. The thing with Nate. That was why not call him and say, hour. I need you to do something <laughs> for me. 
Don't answer a single call from either one of my brothers for the rest of the night. He would have done that for her. A hundred percent. He would have gladly done that. He would have even picked up the phone. He doesn't even want, he doesn't want to talk to them anyway. He doesn't even like Ken, who insists on talking to him at every turn. He would have gladly lied straight to Ken. He would have bullshitted Ken. Even if she didn't want to ask him to do that, she could have just said, don't take their calls for the rest of the night. Period. That's it. At the very least, what she should have done is not lied and said she spoke to him. If none of, if she wasn't going to do any of those other things, you can't fake that you had a conversation when Ken also has the ability to call him. She should have just said he didn't pick up, which is the truth. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then when Ken comes back into the room to confront her, she suddenly acts like she's never lied or deceived yes. anyone in her entire yeah. life. Well, I found it hard to get Nate, so I summarized some impressions. Oh, right, right, right. Smart. Really good, Shiv. But you lied. Oh. Right? She didn't get anything from Nate. Really? She didn't speak to Nate. And she's in with Madsen. Sorry, what? No, I... No... No, I, 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 I did what we all agreed to, that I got close to him so that I could help. Shiv's fucking uh, us, right? right? Wow. Shivy? No, 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 no. I fucking asked you some real questions, Shiv. I wondered why you looked like a goose trying to shit a house brick, you piece of dirt. Okay, well, you got yourself a little fucking side deal here? No, no, I have some options. I, I, was, I was going through uh-huh. with the plan and then well. you two... If I was her, I would have been thinking this entire time, what am I going to say when eventually it comes to light that I'm screwing them over? She should have been thinking about this from the moment she started screwing them. And once again, I am here to say, just tell it like it is. Yes. You know what? You guys have the power. I was uncomfortable in the position I'm in. I was taking care of myself, protecting my own ass, lining something up in case this all goes to shit. You, you're going to blame me for that? They've right. done it a thousand times. Why not just say that? I know. And she had just come out of the conversation with Ken in the other room where he flat out said, I'm arranging for things to be myself as the one in power. She tried to get it together, but she literally was for some reason caught off guard that they found out, even though she should have been expecting this to happen from the moment she was deceiving them. Even if she hadn't thought of it before that very moment, there's a good like two and a half minutes where clearly he knows what's going on and he's talking to Greg. Why wouldn't you take that time to compose yourself and come up with an attack thought that we know she's capable of doing, we've seen her do many times before, where she goes on the office and she's like, come on, how is this any different than what Rome's doing with Mencken and what you're doing with Frank at everybody else it's the same shit and she is right in the sense of like it was the plan they said get close to Matson. that's what i did if it happened to have an angle for me how is that any different than what you guys are doing exactly i'm on shiv and then she's gonna try and at the end be like oh we're we're burning them to the ground or whatever she says to Matson on the way out it's like shiv you've lost you're screwed now in that episode when they were at karaoke and Logan said, you are not serious people. The show could have ended there. Yes. That could have been the final line of the end of the show because the only thing we're witnessing from that point on is how deeply right he was. Rome is off the rails. I can't believe the turnaround from two episodes ago to this one. This reminded me so much of The Sopranos. At the end of The Sopranos, the last couple of episodes... David Chase systematically 
broke down the empathy that we had for all of the characters because he ultimately wanted the ending of the show not to be this, oh, like poor Tony, poor all these people that die and all of this shit that happens to them. He built in specific examples for us to turn on them. And that's exactly what they're doing. They did the same thing in Breaking Bad. At at a certain point with an antihero story, they need to re-remind us like, hey, these are not good people. (laughs) This was pretty effective because even Ken, you could see that he was struggling with the moral aspect of this, but ultimately made the wrong decision mostly because he was mad at his sister. Yes, because it wasn't for the same reason that Rome did it. Rome did it for power and to come out on top and he wants to keep his dad's company. And because Rome knows that they're so rich and so powerful. The shit that he says in this episode. Nothing that happens is going to affect them in any way. Well, that's not true. There is an upside to it. Nothing negative that happens in a presidency or in the country is going to affect them negatively. When Ken tries to level with him when they have that conversation about he he's like, oh, you're going to big brother me, which I thought it was a great contrast of him, how, how he would throw tantrums as a kid. And Ken's like, because you you freak out, you tantrum. So they thought I the fucking tantrum because I never had a fucking steak. Well, I think they got scared if, you know, if you tantrum, then you'd think you'd won. So they couldn't let you. Yeah, I never steak. won. It was always fucking chicken. So because we had so much chicken when we were kids, I have to like the fascist. Yeah. In that conversation, when Ken's trying to level with him, he's like, you know, my daughter was accosted on the street and that's what's going to continue happening. And Rome's response is my kids, the whole thing. Ooh, America. Mm. Well, I mean, it is kind of a nice idea, you know, all the different people together. (laughs) This is all upside. Apart from the matter of him smashing the country to pieces. Oh, God, don't be such a fucking prissy. Okay, maybe maybe we could deal with a dose of that, right? Like a nice little dose of the Frighteners, wine shit back 20. You know, one of those fucking guys pushed my daughter. Uh, she's okay. And when Shiv is down and out and pleading with them, saying that she, you know, this is going to have drastic effects on the entire country, and he says, We just made a night of good TV. That's what we've done. Nothing happens. Things do happen. (laughs) (laughs) This was the most stressful episode ever. I agree with you. But on the other hand, I think we've all collectively been through so much in the last handful of years that as horrible and stressful as it was, it wasn't shocking. It wasn't surprising. No, not at all. Yes. It felt like it just was an anxiety inducing. I was not surprised or shocked to see anything that happened. In fact, I thought it was weirdly predictable for succession. <laughs> the wasabi scene, Greg pouring lemon LaCroix in his eyes and then saying that it's not that lemony. It was ridiculous. I don't know. It was almost too, it was almost too 
Oh, I thought it was very funny. But maybe that's because I didn't get any humor from the places that I normally do, which is Ken and Rome and Shiv and their banter, because I couldn't couldn't wait to get out of scenes with them. I was just so annoyed with them all that maybe that's why mm. I, did, I didn't think it was funny. The only thing I actually found halfway funny, which was mainly because it's so exactly him and so ridiculous, was Tom following a path from Greg not getting him coffee to the actual entire world ending and humanity being wiped out. Greg, I have to be clear. I have to. If I get drowsy and I miscall Colorado, instability, right? Then the U.S. loses credibility. China spots an opportunity, invades Taiwan, tactical nukes. Fucking shit goes kablooey and we're back to amoeba. It's a long way back from pond life because you failed to get me a double shot. I thought the moment with Greg and Jess was interesting when they finally make the call that they're going to call the election and Greg is like on his way downstairs and he runs into Jess and they have a moment of like shit. I have to go um, tell them I think we're calling it for Mencken. Yeah. So I should, I should, right. I should go. Yeah. I'll get in trouble yeah. if I don't go. Okay, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not really my choice, right? So. Sure. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just pressing the button, or I'm not even pressing the button. I'm I'm asking them to prepare to press the button. Right. And all that does is just like launch a nuclear attack. <laughs> so. It's not going to change anything if I don't go. So. A couple minutes. So. I mean. Right. Right. Yeah. Realistically. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. It was one of the few moments that let us catch our breath. And in that, we're watching and realizing that Greg is essentially changing the course of the entire nation and world. Yeah. And watching them realize that that's true because the way that everybody in the show talks about it is not like that's the case. And for them in that one moment, it was like, holy shit. What I'm about to do is is what I'm about to do. They're the the only ones who even remotely understand what it's actually going to be like. Because because that annoyed me of Shiv too. Like I believe her, but it was so ridiculous for her to act as if she really genuinely cared about the state of the nation because of what would happen. I mean, she. I think even Ken says, like, of course you would take that position because it's easy to cry humanity when it also works out for you it, it was if it wasn't also beneficial to her would she be still saying that i would be anxious to see she's aligned with more progressive politics yeah, but... yes no that's totally in her character and she definitely i believe that she feels that way but also the severity in which she was leaning into like this is life or death i don't think she really thought that because it's not affecting her life either it's just the same way as it is for ken and rome another interesting woman i thought was when she's on the phone with matson and even matson is like you guys are fucking crazy jesus fucking christ what's going on that funky number i'm sending you words yeah let's get them out in the next 24 a lot of fucking news you guys are crazy yeah, it's more than just fucking crazy, Lucas. No, but this is crazy. Yeah, well, we're going to do a number on them. We're going to fuck them so hard, we're going to fix this, yeah? 
what's happening here is beyond even what I am capable of conceiving. He represents in that moment the entire rest of the world and the way they've been looking at us for the last seven, eight years. I totally thought that too. What a shit show. All these seasons, we've known how toxic these people and this organization is, but I've been able to suspend my issues with that to just enjoy the show. And this time felt really different because it was grounded in a reality that felt so fucking real mm-hmm. that it it changed things for me. Yeah, I think that was its complete intention. I think that that, because ultimately, Jesse Armstrong does not want us to feel for these characters. And that's why it, they're setting us up for them all to have the crashing we know is coming. Because none of them are going to win. None of them are going to be CEO we all know that that's what's happening and now we're all going to be okay with it because they're getting what they essentially deserve. So this one always has a very special place in my heart for a couple of different reasons. First off, it's the first one I ever saw in the theater. It's the only one that came out when I was old enough to go to the theater and see it. It came out in 2005 and my parents got divorced the year prior and all four of us went to the movies to see it, even though they had just gotten divorced. (laughs) Because they knew how much it meant to you and your brother? Yeah. That is really, really sweet. I really remember it. That really touches my heart. (laughs) So needless to say, could definitely be coloring. But to me, of the three, it's a night and day difference. I don't know what was going on when he made this one and why it's so much better. But I think from moment one, it actually feels like a Star Wars movie as opposed to the other two. I think a lot of it has to do with that there is less dialogue. More happens. There's more action. It starts out in an action scene. There are in space they're in ships they're flying stuff's happening they have there's like four lightsaber battles in this one when there's only like maybe one if that in the other two and even though the dialogue i have a, a an exchange written down that i don't know if you wrote any down but this one is truly maybe the har- most horrible of all three it's less glaring because there's not as much talking it's also funnier or at the very least attempts to be funnier <laughs> The beginning was a slapstick comedy. When they were in the elevator, I was like, ooh, what's going on? Obi-Wan is very... He's like a one-liner machine. Oh, I see it. Oh, this is going to be easy. Flying is for droids. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Always on the move. Chancellor Palpatine, Sith Lords are our speciality. Do you have a plan B? Not to worry. We are still flying half a ship. I would much prefer his corny one-liners over him being a cardboard cutout. So in the very beginning sequence, Anakin and Obi-Wan are rescuing Palpatine from Dooku, and Anakin kills him, even though he's not supposed to. Kill him. Kill him now. I shouldn't. Do it. 
did well, Anakin. It's a big moment. Do you think he realizes at that point that something is off within himself? It seems like no. One thing that always is surprising to me is that nobody understands what's going on with Palpatine before it happens. Like, they're all supposed to be very sensitive to negative energy and to what's going on and people's character and it's right in front of them and nobody sees it obi-wan can't sense what's going on and and mace windu and even yoda who's sitting right there and interacts with him and all of the bold moves he makes when he asks anakin to be his personal advisor and asks him to be on the council and they do see them as red flags but it's amazing to me that they're all supposed to be so perceptive and they miss this huge, huge thing right in front of them. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I can't come up with an answer for it, to be real. I'm sure Obi-Wan is blinded by denial. He can't accept that Anakin and Palpatine, two people that were supposed to be good, are actually pure evil. But So him, I kind of excuse. Yoda's really the one that is baffling to me. When did you put together, or it wasn't until it was revealed, that Palpatine is the Emperor? Because this was what I was asking you in the first one. I definitely knew he was evil. If you if you had asked me that question halfway through, I would have said yes. I would have assumed that that's who it's going to be. But I didn't. it didn't even come to my mind because I was just... You know how I get sometimes? I just take it as it comes. Because <laughs> it's so funny because re-watching them now, especially in the very first episode, like he barely even changes his voice from being Palpatine <laughs> to being the Emperor. Like they barely, like if, if someone- He had, barely looks different. Right. He looks like, <laughs> the difference between after he fights Mace Windu and fully looks disfigured as the Emperor, quote unquote, <laughs> he barely looks any different. And so I can't imagine that a million people who watched Phantom Menace who had seen the first three a million times were not like, oh, that's the Emperor. Like, I wonder if it was, it was supposed to be a surprise or if they didn't care about making it a surprise. I would guess that they didn't care. I that, think that's they just I figured if they get it, they, they get, get it. it. Right. Because if they wanted to conceal it, they would have had to do a better job. So in the very beginning, we find out that Padme's pregnant, which was actually really cute. Something wonderful has happened. Annie, I'm pregnant. That's one. That's wonderful. What are we gonna do? We're not gonna worry about anything right now. All right. This is a happy moment. The happiest moment of my life. Yeah, I felt emotional about it because <laughs> I knew who was in there. Oh. Stop it! That's so cute. Natalie Portman did some better acting in this one also. Her her and Ewan McGregor were like, all right, enough's enough. We need to do some acting. Still not great. No. Still not at their best, but definitely better. Well, yeah, we can't award her any kind of best actress because she's part of the worst dialogue ever, which is when the first night when Anakin's back and they're in her, their little apartment, which, by the way, I covet so badly. Their beautiful apartment with that 
gorgeous thing that goes out in the city. It's always sunset when she's out there. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. But they have one of the worst exchanges in all of Star Wars. She's brushing her hair and he's looking at her. Please, she's not brushing a damn thing. Brushing her fully curled hair that she wouldn't be able to brush. It's like done up hair. So she's airbrushing her hair. (laughs) And Anakin's looking at her. Creepily, I might add. He has no other (laughs) mode. That's the only way he knows how to look at anyone. And he says... You are so beautiful. It's only because I'm so in love. No, (laughs) no, it's because I'm so in love with you. So love has blinded you? (laughs) I cannot believe that he wrote that and it made it into the movie. But it doesn't even make sense. No! She's making a bad joke that he only thinks she's beautiful because he's so in love with her. So she's he's unable to tell if she's actually beautiful or not. Which but is the so- joke doesn't work when someone is objectively extremely beautiful. <laughs> Right? It doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of reasons the joke does not work. I do love their little conversations, though, at their house. It it almost makes me believe their love story, even though they really don't do a good job selling it. This was the closest they've gotten to selling it. When they're in their bedroom and he's venting to her about how he feels and how he feels like he's being held back, like it felt like a really genuine moment between a real couple. I was like, wow, you guys. I feel lost. Lost? What do you mean? Obi-Wan and the Council don't trust me. They trust you with their lives. Something's happening. I'm not the Jedi I should be. I want more. And I know I shouldn't. You expect too much of yourself. I found a way to save you. Save me? From my nightmares. Is that what's bothering you? I won't lose you, Padme. And in their last conversation, when she's crying and saying, this isn't you. I don't believe what I'm hearing. Obi-Wan was right. You've changed. I don't want to hear any more about Obi-Wan. The Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me. I don't know you anymore. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. You're going down a path I can't follow. Because of Obi-Wan. Because of what you've done. What you plan to do. Stop. Stop now. Come back. I love you. That really felt real. That's the best part. I really felt for her. Especially because you can tell that she knew something was going on this whole time. Like every time she spoke to him, you could see her getting more and more concerned with the way he's acting. And and she knows he's not being completely forthcoming. And she could tell a little that he's really telling her half-truths, if that at all. And especially when Obi-Wan goes to see her, you can tell that everything he's saying is only making it completely make sense in her head, which she had pretty much pieced together already. And it's sad to see her have to 
grapple with the fact that he has become a completely different person because she tries to bring him back so many like when she sees him getting angry and he's flipping out and and she's like what's bothering you nothing i remember when i gave this to you how long is it going to take for us to be honest with each other it was a dream Like the ones I used to have about my mother just before she died. And? And it was about you. What is it? Nothing. Don't do this. Don't shut me out. Let me help you. She tries so hard to get him to tell her the truth, but he thinks that he knows better. And he he starts out on, on a noble path. He thinks that what he's doing is ultimately going to save her. His mind was twisted by Palpatine. It's not like he becomes like malintentioned. He he just is he's molded his mind into thinking that what he's doing is the right thing. Those are the best villains. I love the scene when he goes to meet Palpatine and he's watching that bubble show. Palpatine's laying the groundwork for how he's eventually, he's found his end. He knows what his final piece of the puzzle for turning Anakin. And he tells Anakin the story about Plagueis the Wise. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural and he tells him the story of how his apprentice killed him unfortunately he taught his apprentice everything he knew then his apprentice killed him in his sleep ironic could save others from death, but not himself. And he's talking about himself. He was the apprentice that killed his master and has now told Anakin that he knows this, which I actually, I don't think I ever realized that after everything goes down with Mace Windu, he says something to him like, To cheat death is a power only one has achieved, but if we work together... I know we can discover the secret. He's told him this whole time that he knows how to do it. And then after he has him, he's like, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. Like, we'll, we'll me and you together, we got it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that's so grimy. So even the one thing that he promised him, he doesn't know how to do. So when Anakin finds out from Pal- well, Palpatine finally reveals himself to Anakin that he's evil and Anakin tries to do the right thing and goes to Mace Windu and tells him 
that he's the Sith Lord that we've been looking for. And poor Mace Window he goes and brings those people who die in 30 seconds. Palpatine literally swings the lightsaber once and kills him. It's like the lamest thing in the world. And that's the crux of the movie. Anakin has to decide literally if he's going to choose good or evil. I, of course, I knew what decision he was going to make. But in the moment, I was like, Palpatine's a sick fuck when he's like down on the ground and he's like, please help me. Like I can. I'm like, you sick sicko Anakin cuts off Mace Windu's hand there have been so many limbs cut off that at this point I'm like here we go again I thought it was cool to see his mask and his helmet be put on right it was done well it's interesting because like the third one has so much of what people would want if you were to describe what you would want from a prequel in order to lead us into a new hope it's all in this one there's none of it in the first two it's all like how does Darth Vader become Darth Vader and what makes him evil was he once good and what's the battle that him Obi-Wan mentions to Luke that he fought him once and even when Obi-Wan fights him in a new hope my powers have increased since the last time we fought we get to see that stuff that they mentioned in a new hope and it's all in the last 45 minutes of this one (laughs) it should have all been one movie it shouldn't have been three or if it was going to be three they needed to do something why not make this the first one and then do the next two after that come up with some kind of story about the rise of the emperor and if you're going to give that much backstory in three movies it just needed to be more substantial this could have been the first one then they could have done one where we got to see Leia's life as a little yeah, girl, and then Luke's life when he was little. Which, by the way, is what the Obi-Wan series is. Oh, that's cool. Obi-Wan the series takes place in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Oh my gosh, because Ewan is the right age. I have to finish that. I have a couple of episodes left that I, n- I never finished it. I don't no, no particular reason. I just wasn't like super in love with it. It disappointed me a little. So I was dealing with the sting of it not being as good as I wanted it to be. But it was on. I, I had an unreasonable expectation for it because of what I knew it was going to be. You do get to see a little Leia and a little Luke. Wait, so where does Baby Yoda come in? What show is that? That's the Mandalorian, and uh, and that's the one that's good, right? That one is very good. And that takes place after Return of the Jedi. So Darth Vader's dead. The Emperor's dead. It's supposedly like peacetime. So how is Yoda a baby? Or is it's it actually Yoda's not, child or something? It's actually not related to Yoda. That's His name is Grogu. That's the character's name in The Mandalorian. Oh, oh that's why they don't want people calling him baby Yoda. Correct. Because he's, okay. he's like not really. He's not Yoda <laughs> at all. Like I guess in theory he's the same kind of species that Yoda is. And that's why he looks like him. But... <laughs> That's why actually I saw an interview recently where Pedro accidentally called him. Yeah, that was what I saw. (laughs) And yeah, that's why they don't want you to because it's not technically right. But they took it was their own fault because they took so long to give him a name in The Mandalorian that that's what people just started. It wasn't until halfway through season one that he gets a name. So you can't expect people. What are we supposed to call him? How sad is it when Palpatine gives the order to the clones to turn on everyone the time has come execute order 66
Anakin leads the charge on the Jedi Temple. It's a horrible scene. I know we talked about this a lot already in the previous episode, but why why Hayden Christensen? Not sure. Where did that casting choice come from? Because not only is he not a great actor, but he's not, he doesn't have a powerful presence as a villain either. I don't get it. And I know that he he was a bigger star during this time, but he wasn't. I actually was just going to ask you that because I've never, I've literally never seen him in anything else. I need to look up what else he was in. Was he a big actor? Like, was he in other big projects where they literally kind of picked him out of somewhat obscurity? The biggest he's ever been was during that time. But see, like he was in The Virgin Suicides, which I've seen at least five times and didn't even remember. He was a working actor. There were so many other, like, wasn't that the height of Orlando Bloom? But maybe Orlando was already doing Pirates? Attack of the Clones was in 2001, I think. What are what are the called the prequels 2002 is when is when attack of the clones came out so that was the first one hayden was in i'm looking up who else was considered for his role to see the type of people they were looking at orlando bloom was on was in pirates in 2003 but he probably was still doing lord of the rings in 2001 and 2 because that's when they came out. Ryan Philippi, another guy who was a working actor, but not a huge star. Colin Hanks, I think, was unknown by then. Devin Sawa would have been a wild choice. <laughs> Paul Walker, James Vanderbeek, Chris Klein, Christian Bale. Chris Klein? Topher Grace. Keith, Leo, although I don't actually really believe that. So interesting what kind of person they were looking for. Who you would want is someone who's mysterious because he's supposed to be conflicted. Hayden does such a poor job of articulating it. That's not what it comes across as. I agree, but it should be someone who has the ability to wield power. And he doesn't have that. This says DiCaprio wasn't ready to take on such a prolific role at the time. That's laughable and untrue what the f- i think he they probably wanted him and he turned it down he's known f- from quite early in his career that he didn't want to play these types of roles mm. he said that many times so <laughs> i don't know what they're really saying but heath would have been uh, obviously a much better choice topher grace is unhinged christian bale obviously would have been good but i'm glad he didn't because then yeah. we would have never had him as batman chris klein i can't even please. that is such a bad that's one of the weirdest choices ever james vanderbeek is also crazy i think joshua jackson would have been better than james vanderbeek paul walker i think uh, paul walker probably would have been pretty good i don't think i've seen paul walker act star wars is supposed to be an a-list franchise but they were treating themselves like they were c-list but then it's weird though because they picked like liam neeson is a huge name for the first one yeah samuel jackson you would think anakin would be the most important right pivotal casting choice well and maybe obi-wan but it's really weird it's weird and it's also really weird because like liam neeson samuel jackson natalie portman they're also a similar kind of actor where it's like it's a very serious acting pool that they were clearly drawing from and everybody and they all else, belong together right. like when you hear their names together you're like yes that makes sense but everybody else you named is like you're you're casting a teen rom-com yes maybe they were trying to cast a guy who teen girls would be into 
maybe they were thinking because he is supposed to be much younger than everybody else which i also don't think really comes across when obi-wan's like at your age like on the council is an extreme honor i'm like whose age he looks the same age as you like what do you (laughs) he doesn't look that much younger than you it's like they're talking to a 19 year old and everybody else is 45 it's he looks the same age as you guys (laughs) to me i don't think that he looks remarkably younger his lines that are supposed to be serious are so funny (laughs) one that anthony and i quote all the time when padme comes to him and they're talking and she's saying anakin all i want is your love and he goes love won't save you padme only my new powers can do that But the best lines by far, it's become memed to death. Everybody loves the exchange between Anakin and Obi-Wan right before they fight. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. And then he backflips into the beginning of the battle. It's the best. It's so (laughs) good. I really never knew how much of Star Wars is appreciated, ironically. I think at this point, a lot of people, it's gone so far past irony that it's come back around to genuine. For sure. For these in particular, like I was saying last last week when we were talking about Attack of the Clones, there's like a weird reverence that people have for Hayden Christensen now as Anakin. When it first came out, people hated it. Then as years went by and we realized we had to, this is what we got, we had to be happy with it. We decided that we were going to love it ironically. Now it's gone so far past that people are like, they're actually very good and you should like them for real. <laughs> Do you think they'll ever redo them? No. I think that the I think that Star Wars as a franchise has escalated to a point of the stratosphere that is so... I read a new headline every week that's like, Takawatiti's doing a trilogy. Ryan Johnson doing a trilogy. Every single director in Hollywood is going to get their own Star Wars trilogy. Going to revit. I think they're just going to expand. They'll make shit up. They'll new characters, new arcs, new stories, new everything. And it's so expansive and they have so much to work with that I don't think they'll go back. They'll just keep expanding until it's the MCU. Correct. Yeah, they're already like well on their way and then there'll be time traveling and yes oh we it's only a matter of time before (laughs) (laughs) we've got wormholes and the multiverse and (laughs) and then soon before we know it there'll be three versions of obi-wan that all appear in the same movie so what did you think of the last two i mean we see the most epic battles we've definitely seen up until this point obi-wan versus anakin and yoda versus the emperor yoda was so cute he was spinning his little ass off (laughs) that stuff doesn't excite me as much as it does you but i i thought they were good matchups and it was i was glad to see them i was glad they happened and both of them fit your criteria for a star wars battle which is that they happen on a million foot drops it's extremely important obi-wan and anakin's is when they're standing on those robot heads that are floating that are like this big in diameter and they have both of their feet like 
tiny on the top of those heads and they're fighting in the air. <laughs> I'm like, you guys. <laughs> I thought it was confusing when Anakin is laying face first in, it looks like black sand, but I guess it's cooled lava or, or volcanic rock, whatever it is. How did he actually catch on fire? It seemed like he was close enough to the the river of lava that he, he still had clothes on, so maybe he's just like a tiny piece of fabric caught. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. I wonder why, I I know why, because they had to do it this way, but I just thought it was odd that Obi-Wan assumed he was going to die and just kind of walked away. It's funny that you say that, because I thought a lot about that too. And in the beginning of Obi-Wan the series, there's a moment when he is alerted that he's alive. He really did think he was dead. I'm not going to be the one to finally kill you. Like, you either die or you don't die that's what i kind of think he was doing but and then watching the series it seems like no he thought he was dead and he did not know he was alive so it's so it's interesting i guess he it seems like though he just was never going to be able to bring himself to be the one to really kill him so he thought he had done it enough but uh, don't you think in that scenario if he wasn't positive that he was dead that he has enough love for him still that he would want to do it if only so he wasn't suffering. He must have really just thought he was gone. That's horrible, though. And it's some of the best acting we get when he breaks down and says, You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy this and not join them! Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness! I loved you. It's horrible when he finds out, too, when he watches the security footage back at the Jedi Temple and has to see that it really was Anakin. I mean, he knew before he turned that tape on, but he had to see it for himself. It's so heartbreaking. And when he asks Yoda to to not send him and for let him to be the one that fights the Emperor, every time I watch him walk away from him on that lava bank, it makes me think of the very end of Return of the Jedi when Anakin does come back to the good side and kills the Emperor and saves Luke. And then in the final shot of Return of the Jedi, when he reappears as Anakin rather than Darth Vader next to Obi-Wan, I always think of that when I watch this because what an emotional thing that must have been for Obi-Wan to see that after all this time, he was actually right and he was good. And Padme too. Right before she dies, she says there's good in him. Yeah. But also so toxic. (laughs) evil men (laughs) we're always like but but there's good good in him him. (laughs) (laughs) when they had her funeral procession and they had that close-up shot of her face and her hair with all the flowers on it she was so pretty and she has the little necklace that anakin gave her what a sad story right after his battle when yoda says he has to go into exile Mm -hmm. the way he says Failed. Actually, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because Yoda has some great lines when he's talking to Anakin in their little therapy sesh after Anakin has his first nightmare about Padme and he's sitting down with him and he says, Attachment leads to jealousy. 
The shadow of greed, that is. I love his final line of that scene when he says, Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. It seemed more like the Yoda we knew in Empire when he's like very wise and has good things totally. to say, yeah. as opposed to the other two where he really doesn't say much of anything. He felt more like the real character in this one. Oh, another, it's just a line that I, I don't know why I love it. It's so corny, but for some reason it just gets me. When Padme is at the final Senate meeting, when Chancellor Palpatine is like electing himself leader and he's, they're all, you know, clapping and whatever, and she goes... So this is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. I think it's... Oh, it was really good. We get to see them ship off Luke and Leia. Leia goes to live with General Organa on Alderaan. And they send Luke home to his family. Which I always think, like, is that the best place to hide him? Like, of all the places <laughs> to hide him, like... That's very true. Is with Anakin's family, like, his best... The best place for him not to look? Isn't that the first place he would go to look if he thought his kid was alive? I really loved seeing the silhouettes of them <laughs> holding him. Uh, yeah, there's just never going to be a time where it's bad to end the movie with those sons on Tatooine. <laughs> That's just going to be like a censure. <laughs> and that beautiful music that, that ramps up into the final credits music. I did have a really comforting feeling of he's home and that he's safe because I we know what happens 20 years down the line. So I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about him or Leia. <laughs> 